Welcome to America the Bazaar. I'm your host, Jordan Rausch. And I'm Jeremy. This is a weekly podcast that deep dives into all the stories that made America into the beautiful weirdo she is today. Yes, and getting even more bizarre. More bizarre each day. Yes. As in, as, yep. Yeah. We watched the debate last night from when we're recording this. It was last night, so it was a... It was a night. <laughs> it was. We didn't was. even watch it live. We had the pleasure of having to watch it from the beginning after it had already happened. So Yeah, I started it actually was. after it ended. And one thing, this like it should have had commercial breaks. Like I needed breaks because <laughs> yeah. it was just like straight 90 minutes and I needed like five minute breaks here yeah. and there yeah. to watch like a Doritos commercial <laughs> just to like for a breather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that commercial slots during a presidential debate need to become like the new the new Super Bowl commercial Super Bowl, yes, spots. Yes, yeah. like just to like just take the edge off of it. Right. Like Yeah, oh they're my only gosh. allowed to be lighthearted and funny. No serious commercials. Yes. Yes. It was it's it's a rough one. Yeah. This twenty twenty is a a year for the history. I mean, books. it was a presidential debate that just kind of summed up 2020. Yeah. We weren't going to get anything better than that. And we knew that. We all knew that <laughs> going in. It's like we all... And if you try to justify either side, like, I mean, it's 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 a presidential debate. Yeah. There was you very know. few At the end of the day, you have to realize it was a presidential debate. And that was the quality we, we got. We got, yeah. Yeah. 2020. Anyways, sorry. Here's 2020. Uh, do you have a question? I do. Question? I do have a. I have a presidential question. Mm-hmm. It's which president was the only president to take the oath of office from a female official? Ooh. You got your poster. From a female official? Yes. Gosh. It's only one out of forty-five that's taken the oath of office from a female official. I feel like I should know this. But I don't... That's all right. For those of you at home wondering, the answer will be at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. Yeah. And you, just so you know, she waits me, makes me wait the full hour as well, so yeah, he I don't... <laughs> yeah, he doesn't get it's to find out It's not like she tells me, you. and then like we we cut it and place it at the end of the episode, so yeah, right. it's going to be in my head the whole time. In 1868, Cuba and Spain entered into what was later known as the Ten Years' War, because it lasted ten years. Mm-hmm. They didn't call it the Ten Years' War while they were fighting it. <laughs> this is this is going to last ten for ten years. years. <laughs> where Cuban rebels tried to gain their independence from Spanish rule. Despite Spain winning the war, Cuban revolutionaries continued to make plans for future independence. In 1895, Jose Marti, a revolutionary that had been exiled from Cuba, invaded Cuba in another attempt for independence. Americans took great interest in the Cubans' fight against Spain. Americans did about $100 million a year in trade with Cuba, which is about $2.75 billion today. Yeah. So they did, there's a lot of money going yeah. back and forth <clears throat> right. between America and Cuba at the time. Right, and we, you know... Mad respect for the the rebellious types, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) So the conflict was causing problems for Americans that owned sugarcane fields in Cuba and shipping firms that relied heavily on trade with Cuba because Mm. they were both suffering losses. Mm -hmm. 
Americans also saw Cuba fighting Spain very similar to the American Revolution and saw like, Spain as a tyrannical oppressor, much like Britain. Yeah. I feel like we need one of those. I need a soundboard so I can push like, <laughs> mana, 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 mana. like whenever it's like all about capitalism, you know? I don't know if we'd get through an episode if you had a soundboard. <laughs> mm. Just constant uh, air hordes. I will. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, n- now accepting donations for... For a soundboard for Jeremy. <laughs> President McKinley hoped to end the conflict peacefully and attempted to negotiate with the Spanish government for peace. The Spanish government refused to enter any negotiations of peace between them and Cuba but told the United States that it would be willing to offer the Cubans more autonomy if they agreed to an end of the fighting. Mm. Though it was seen as too little too late and just not enough. Right. Yeah. The rebels refused, obviously, because they're like, no, we want full independence. Right. At this point, it's... It's all or nothing. Liberty or give me death. Right. (laughs) So... Spain then recalled the current governor of Cuba and replaced him with another, which sparked large demonstrations by the people that were still pro-Spain. So now, like, Spain has lost, like, all Cubans. Right. Like, it, they they still had some validity. Yeah. In authority in Cuba. And then they replaced the governor with somebody who was just, like, wholeheartedly in support of Spain. Right. And like, the no. Cubans are like, uh... Uh, the people are the ones with the power. Like, don't you know this? Like, you can't just change some dickhead at the top. Right. And, you know, all of a sudden we're all like, oh, yes, we're all Spanish now because the governor's Spanish. Yeah, exactly. A United States consul named Fitzhugh Lee, which a consul is kind of like an ambassador, mm-hmm. an ambassador, but not completely. Right. So he asked the U.S. to send a warship to Cuba in order to keep American citizens that were living in Cuba safe from the fighting. Mm. On January 24th, 1898, McKinley sent the battleship USS Maine to Havana after letting the Spanish government know his intentions for the ship were to keep peace only. And he's like, mm. okay, Spain, we're not trying to start anything. Mm-hmm. This warship is to, like, just so Americans are safe. This is not to fight you. Mm-hmm. This is just to be like, hey, don't mess with any Americans living here. Mm-hmm. Though reluctant and, and wary we- of America's intentions with the warship, the Maine was allowed to dock in Havana, and the ship's commanding officer refused to allow his enlisted men to go ashore. Uh-huh. So he's like, hey, that we are not here for war. Mm-hmm. Stay on this boat. Mm-hmm. It seemed like the presence of the ship was calming tensions in Havana, and another battleship was requested to take the Maine's place when it was time for it to return to the U.S. On February 15th, an explosion destroyed the USS Maine. 260 of the 400 men crew died during the explosion, and six died later due to their wounds. Investigations found that more than five tons of powder charges had been ignited, which tore apart the ship. The crew of a civilian steamer, along with Spanish officials, worked quickly to try to save as many survivors as possible and care for the wounded. When word reached D.C., the Navy Department opened an inquiry in the cause of the explosion, and it lasted for about a month. It was concluded that a mine located under the ship had detonated, which then set off the powder charges. Though the Navy never concluded who put the mine under the ship, Americans were outraged and blamed Spain for the explosion. War between the U.S. and Spain was looking very likely, and President McKinley began to make preparations for an impending war by asking Congress to appropriate $50 million for national defense, 
which Congress approved unanimously. Remember the Maine became a rallying cry among Americans to avenge the explosion. Congress then passed the Teller Amendment, which stated that the United States would not establish permanent control over Cuba after they received their independence from Spain. And President McKinley was authorized to use as much military force he thought necessary to help Cuba gain their independence. So he's like, free reign, all of this money. Yeah. And they're like, hey, and also, hey, Cubans, we're the good guys. Yeah. Because we're not going to try to take over, even if we help you. Yeah. When Spain heard of the Teller Amendment, they immediately severed all diplomatic relations with Spain. And on that same day, the United States began a naval blockade of Cuba. Spain responded to the blockade by declaring war on the United States on April 24th. The U.S. then also declared war on Spain on April 25th. Right. But they backdated the declaration to be on April 21st so that they could say that they declared war first. <laughs> you didn't declare war on me. I declared war also, on you. <laughs> it's called the Dateline. Like, yeah. It's weird. We actually said it four well, they're days like, ago. Well, we were doing like the blockade, so that was technically our declaration of war. Even though we didn't write it down, yeah. that was it. So yeah. we declared war first. Yeah. So take that, Spain. (laughs) The Spanish-American War quickly expanded past Cuba and into the Pacific Ocean. Though America had promised to let Cuba become completely independent after the war, they made no such promises for Spain's other colonies. McKinley had a large desire to gain control of Puerto Rico and the Philippines, Mm -hmm. both of which were under Spanish rule. Having a port in the Philippines would give America a strong foothold in the Pacific. On May 1st, Commodore George Dewey led a United States Naval Squadron into Manila Bay in the Philippines. In a matter of two hours, Commodore Dewey destroyed the Spanish fleet that was anchored in the bay, and then he let his crew eat a second breakfast, because they did (laughs) such a good job. (laughs) Fire up the grills, we're having eggs and bacon for second breakfast. Yeah, exactly. What about Elevensies? Only nine American seamen were lost in the battle, while the Spanish lost around 370. After the victory, America sent three troop transport ships carrying soldiers that left San Francisco on May 25th in order to secure the rest of the Philippines for the United States. The ships stopped in Honolulu, where they were joined by the cruiser the Charleston, which was under the command of Captain Henry Glass. While in Honolulu, Captain Glass had received sealed orders from the Secretary of the Navy, John D. Long, that were to be read once they took off from port. The letter said... Sir, upon the receipt of this order, which is forwarded by the steamship City of Pekin to you at Honolulu, you will proceed with the Charleston and City of Pekin in company to Manila, Philippine Islands. On your way, you are hereby directed to stop at the Spanish island of Guam. You will use such force as may be necessary to capture the port of Guam, making prisoners of the governor and other officials, and any armed force that may be there. You will also destroy any fortifications on said island and any Spanish naval vessels that may be there, or in the immediate vicinity. These operations at the island of Guam should be very brief and should not occupy more than one or two days. Should you find any coal at the island of Guam, you will make such use of it as you consider desirable. It is left to your discretion whether or not you destroy it. From the island of Guam, proceed to Manila and report to Rear Admiral George Dewey, USN, for duty in the squadron under his command. Very respectfully, John D. Long, Secretary. Ah, so I'm assuming this was when... So it's a surprise stop in Guam Mm -hmm. that now the only people that really know about it are the people on the Charleston. 
Mm-hmm. And now, like, the three transport ships that are... With them. With them. Yeah. And so all the soldiers are like, cool, we're going to Guam. What is Guam? <laughs> Where is Guam? Yeah. Why are we going to Guam? <laughs> Who is Guam? Who is Guam? <laughs> is that, like, your brother's house, or...? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the morning of June 20th, the ship convoy approached Guam. The Charleston entered in Agana Bay on the search for Spanish ships to destroy. Captain Glass kept waiting for a cannon bombardment from Fort Santiago as they sailed by it, but the fort remained completely silent. (laughs) The Charleston then got into range of Fort Santa Cruz, where there was only a Japanese ship docked in the harbor. Glass fired at Fort Santa Cruz with his three-inch cannons. However, no shots were returned. The only movement was a few local fishermen paddling away from the cannon fire as fast as possible in their carved-out canoes. What's going on? Yeah. After hearing the cannon fire, a group of Spanish officials and civilians began to congregate on the shore. They had heard the cannon fire and thought it was a salute from a foreign ship making their presence known. No. <laughs> Hello. We're here. Yes. Where is everybody? <laughs> <laughs> and also, back then... Fire- no, Demi, this is a hostile takeover. Well, and also sometimes back then, firing your cannons was a way to show that you came in peace. Mm. Just because, like, especially if it was just, like, a few shots. Because, you know, instead of, like, you know, holding your gun in the air or, and, like, putting it down or something... It was cannons, emptying, emptying well, your cannons. Emptying your cannons, because they take a long time to reload. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a come in peace gesture sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, yeah, if they weren't pointed at your fort. Right. But nobody was in the fort. So because they were all knew. on the beach having breakfast. They were all on the beach having fun. <laughs> so the officials decided that they needed to go conduct customs and health inspections of the foreign ship like they always did, and also ordered to have two of their antique brass cannons brought to the port so that they could return the cannon salute to be courteous. Oh, God. (laughs) You don't want to be rude. (laughs) One of the civilians among the Spanish officials was an American named Frank Portisac, who had moved to Guam and owned a store there. Spanish officials and Frank Portisac sailed out to the Charleston to greet them. Once aboard, the Spanish officials apologized that they couldn't get their old cannons working in order to return the salute. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't say hey back. Like, we tried. <laughs> you know, it's a flip-flop. These rusty, it's a flip-flop. Old, these rusty old things. We haven't fired them in ages. <laughs> They're really just for looks. you found us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You have some some great navigation on this ship. (laughs) You found us. Nobody stops by to say hi. So that's when Captain Glass says, that wasn't a salute that we gave you. (laughs) The United States and Spain are at war. And so everybody was, and the war has been going on for two months. And everybody's like, what? Nobody told us. (laughs) We're at war. Jesus. Yeah, literally nobody told anybody at Guam. Well. This is how they found out. Yay. Yay, Guam. (laughs) And so then Captain Glass is like, oh, by the way, all your Spanish military officers are now prisoners of war. And they're like, Mm. what? We were just coming to say hi. (laughs) This is how you treat us? You know what? No. I'm I'm climbing down that rope ladder back into my... (laughs) Back into my dinghy. And I'm going to get that antique cannon working. (laughs) Well, yeah, because now they're aboard, like, the ship. You be damned. 
like they, I'm, I'm sure they like didn't really come heavily armed. Yeah, and they're yeah. like, well, oh, dang it. <laughs> oh, I left my six shooter on the <laughs> on, on the, the desk. Beach. <laughs> yeah. Glass sent two of the Spanish soldiers back to shore to deliver a letter to Governor Juan Marina, in which Glass demanded that the governor report to the Charleston immediately to surrender the defenses of the island of Guam. While waiting for Governor Marina's response, Frank Portisach, I really don't know how to say his name, Portisach, Portisac, I don't know. I'll probably keep going back and forth. But anyways, the American, he offered to provide supplies to the other Americans. He's like, hello, it's been a while mm-hmm. since I saw anybody uh, other than my wife from America. <laughs> I've been supplying the Spanish army, but I will, yeah. glad, I will happily I will sell things to you too. Yeah. Good businessman, right? Yeah. One of the soldiers later wrote that Frank sold fruit at extremely low prices. They could buy three bananas, two mangoes, or one pineapple for only a penny. However, a live monkey would cost them two whole dollars. I don't know how many soldiers tried to buy a live monkey and bring it back on the ship. Oh, every single one of them. (laughs) There's probably so many monkeys on that ship. (laughs) Probably. Just everywhere. I just like, yeah. They're like, I'm just going to hide it in my bed. I'm going to hide it in my bunk. (laughs) Nobody will know. Just go to my rucksack. (laughs) Yeah. Governor Marina received the letter from Glass, and after he got over the shock that Guam was under siege, (laughs) he replied to Glass's request of him coming aboard the Charleston to surrender Guam with his own letter that read, It would give me great pleasure to comply with this request and see you personally, but as the military laws of my country prohibit me from going... from going on board a foreign vessel, I regret to have to decline this honor and to ask that you will kindly come on shore, where I await you to accede to your wishes as far as possible and to agree as to our mutual situations. So that, he's like, I can't willingly do it. Yeah, I'm not just gonna like go on your ship. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta take. You gotta me meet on me it. halfway. Yeah, yeah. We'll Which meet, I'm surprised we'll he didn't like do anyways. Like yeah. I can't imagine like you just don't at least send an escort, right? Like, you're just going to cut, let him come up guns a-blazing? Yeah. What if he got one of those guns working and just, like... <laughs> right. That afternoon, Frank Portisach received a letter from Governor Marina that read, If you render any assistance to the American men of war, you will be executed tomorrow morning at the beach. Wait, what? This is what the governor of Guam sent to Frank. Because I think he heard Frank was, like, selling him fruit and monkeys. Uh, and he was like, hey, Damn it, Frank, stop we it. need our fruit and monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> You stop giving them things. They're trying to take over. Uh, Frank's wife freaks out. Uh, but Frank's like, don't worry. We're, we're going to... He's a prisoner of war. We're going to stay on the yet. American side. Yeah. Did you see all the ships that they brought? <laughs> <laughs> They've got working cannons. We didn't even know there was a war. Yeah. So he's saying... The this, governor didn't even know there was yeah, a war. So he basically, like, laughs it off, but he's, like, a little bit worried because <laughs> a governor, like, saying that he's going to execute you in the morning is still, like... Kind of worrisome. Yeah, not the greatest. A little bit. So he goes and he takes the letter to the Charleston where he showed it to Glass. He's like, hey, by the way, yeah. this is the letter I got today. Glass reassured Frank that if the island was not delivered to the Americans peacefully by daylight the next day, Glass would shell the town. Oh, God. Yeah. Glass and Frank then had dinner aboard the Charleston before Frank returned home. The next morning, Glass sent Lieutenant William Bronisruther and Ensign Waldo Evans ashore to meet with Governor Marina. 
Marina gave Bronisbruther a letter that read, I am under the sad necessity of being able to resist such superior forces, and I respectfully accede to your demands. At the time, the infantry of Guam only composed of 55 soldiers and two lieutenants. So, <laughs> he didn't really have a choice. The two, the two lieutenants are just the only captives, though, because they that only are, want the officers, are, right? Yeah, those are the only ones that are now prisoners of war. They're still back on the ship. <laughs> So he doesn't have his two lieutenants, and he only has 50 infantrymen. Yeah. 55 infantrymen. Yeah. So he's like, yeah, okay. I like, I like kind of thought about it, but I can't. Yeah. After the surrender of Guam, Captain Glass went on land to inspect Fort Santa Cruz, which had basically been abandoned. Like, mm-hmm. nobody's using it. That's why, like, nothing happened right. when they're firing it. So he they goes, were like, were those holes there yesterday? Yeah, do you guys remember that? <laughs> so he goes and looks at Fort Santa Cruz with a small group of men, including three war correspondents, probably to write articles about the great takeover of Guam, to right. send back to America. Right. The American flag was then raised above the fort, a 21-gun salute was set off from the Charleston, and the bands aboard the transport ships played the star-spangled banner. <laughs> we did it! <laughs> <laughs> We took Rapid over Guam. success, much wow. <laughs> yeah. Since Glass So firepower, much wow. Yeah. Since Glass didn't know if the US wanted to keep Guam permanently or not, <laughs> he had the flag lowered back down that afternoon and taken back to the Charleston. <laughs> um not sure what our intent is. We've yeah. con- we technically conquered it. We we conquered it. I think I'm gonna keep this flag for maybe like a more impressive Thing. Battle. Yeah. We have to come back. Yeah, maybe I'll maybe you know, yeah, maybe I'll come back and put it back up, but I'm just gonna take this for now. <laughs> I don't think I'll have any trouble taking Guam back over. <laughs> Not unless you severely change your manning and tactics. Yeah. <laughs> Captain Glass asked Frank Portisage if he would take care of the island until some other officers or man of war might reach Guam. So, since he because Frank was the only American, American. there. So Portisach agreed, making him the first American governor of Guam. Nice. It was never written down, and some people think that Frank might have just, like, said that Glass told him that he was, like, <laughs> the, mayor? The, the guy in charge. Yeah. He's like, but anyways, I'm the governor now. Yeah. So, uh, you all answer to me. And everybody's like, okay. <laughs> the next morning, Glass and the ship convoy departed without American troops ever having to leave their ships and continued on to Manila. <laughs> and... That was it. That's how we got Guam. After receiving defeats in Cuba, the Philippines, and obviously Guam, Spain, I don't think Spain was like too worried about that, but Spain then opened up negotiations for peace and hostilities were halted on August 12th, 1898. This is a very short war. Mm -hmm. It started in April and now it's over in in August. August. So hostilities ended with the signing of a protocol of peace between the United States and Spain. Peace negotiations lasted for two months until the Treaty of Paris was signed on December 10, 1898. In the treaty, Spain renounced all claim to Cuba, ceded Guam and Puerto Rico to the United States, and gave sovereignty over the Philippines to the United States for $20 million in exchange. Hmm. The United States became a protectorate of Cuba until they formed their own government and became completely independent on May 20, 1902. However, the new Cuban government was required to lease certain territories to the United States. 
like in exchange for America helping them out. Right. Uh, does that mean like Guantanamo Bay? It sure does. <laughs> in 1903, the United States began to lease a 45 square mile enclave named Guantanamo Bay. Not until 1993? 1903. Oh, okay. I was like, what? Yeah. This is right. So in which the U.S. had complete jurisdiction and mm-hmm. control through a perpetual lease that can be voided only by mutual agreement of the two countries. Mm-hmm. So like one country can't be like, we're not doing it anymore. Yeah. Both countries have to agree. The lease price is $3,386.25 annually. And that price has not gone up <laughs> since 1903. What? Right. Yeah. No, it hasn't like inflated. The United States still pays a check of $3,386.25 to Cuba each year. That blows my mind. For Guantanamo Bay. The U.S. government pays less for Guantanamo Bay than I pay for a semester of tuition. Yep. Jesus. However, when Fidel Castro came into power, the Cuban government stopped cashing those checks. He's like, Mm. we're not going to take your money, but... The oh Americans no. still get to use oh no. Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> oh no. So hey, cancel those checks. No, like so so the Treasury <laughs> still sends the checks every year and Cuba just like, I don't know, puts them in a closet where fifty-five years of checks or whatever have, have <laughs> Fal- been, yeah. yeah, files them in a drawer. Yeah. Apparently one of those checks did get cashed in like nineteen fifty-nine, but I think that person got fired or assassinated or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah he got in trouble. Yeah. They said it was a mistake and they never meant to cash it. Yeah. Sent a refund check. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which we then didn't cash. Yeah. (laughs) Guam has served as a fueling station and support center during several of America's wars. During World War II, Guam was seized by the Japanese shortly after Pearl Harbor, but was taken back by the United States in 1944. There is currently an anti-missile unit focused on North Korea installed in Guam. The United States often uses Guam for war games and joint exercises, and according to the Anderson Air Force Base in 2014, Guam has the largest munition stockpile in the world that is stored in igloos located deep in the jungle, surrounded by brown tree snakes and wild boar. Hmm. So don't try to go find it. (laughs) Snakes and pigs. Snakes and pigs. (laughs) That's our anti-intrusion system. <laughs> yeah. Who needs ADT when you've got... Snakes and pigs. Brown, brown snakes and... And, they're, and to clarify, brown snakes are a real thing. That's not, that's not a... That's not like a poop joke? That, that's not a number two joke. <laughs> the 162,000 people that live in Guam just like citizens of other U.S. territories, are considered U.S. citizens by birth. However, they are not allowed to vote for the president. And just like Washington, D.C. citizens, they have no representatives in Congress. Right. So they just get to watch the debate and see who's going to be their president. And they have literally no no choice. No say. You know, that's interesting because I've been – I was listening today on the radio a story about uh, uh, an initiative – by, I believe it's a student organization in Washington D.C. that's trying to make that's basically trying to ratify Washington D.C. as I a know state. They've been trying to get you know because there's a lot of people that live in Washington D.C. Right, and the fact that they, they don't have, the, the highest level of government they have is a mayor. Yeah, and the fact that they don't have a representative or a senator in Congress, like they don't have a voting representative. Yeah, okay, yep. that's what I mean. Yep. So, like, Guam, Puerto Rico, like, they don't have voting representatives in Congress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, they basically don't have a say in laws or, like, 
to the extent that they have a person there, but it has no authority. Right. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And Washington, D.C., I know they've been trying for a long time yeah. to Which is crazy to think about. It. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's crazy. It's like, it's one of those things where, like, I mean, I, I run into, you know, being in the military, I run into uh, a ton of people in the Army, a lot of National Guard soldiers in right. Puerto Rico, from Puerto Rico. And it's like, you know, they're l- like literally the same uniform as I'm yeah. in. Oh, it's they're, almost it's almost like um like taxation without representation. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't. It's it's all fuzzy to me. I haven't ever actually researched it, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's it's pretty it's pretty wild, and they're just great people. Well, the thing I think is you know about the story is that America's like, hey, Cuba, like we want you to be independent, like us, like. Grew, like these tyrannical empires and they're like but we're helping you so we can become a tyrannical empire and like in have the, yeah like have these colonies in these territories and these territories and uh, not colonies territories they're ter- yes territories yeah, yeah. So. different do we do we have listeners in guam or puerto rico i don't know let's check the map yeah Give us a shout out too if yeah. you're from a U.S. territory. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you and like to hear your thoughts about your state of citizenship and, yes. and your rights. Also, I am getting into alien alienage under the equal protection clause of the Fourteenth Amendment. Fourteenth Amendment in my constitutional law yes, class. I, for so. for a second, I thought you were going to switch the topic to aliens, and I was like, that is not what we're talking about. <laughs> no, it's the same thing. It's legal persons in the united states that aren't citizens gotcha because they are under the constitution afforded certain rights Mm -hmm. which you know is a good thing i think but anyways so i could probably report more next week okay give us an update (laughs) but we'll see (laughs) see how much you learn in a week yeah um, in 1976, naval investigators came to the conclusion that the explosion that sank the USS Maine was likely caused by fire that ignited the ammunition aboard rather than a Spanish mine or mm. sabotage. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the USS Maine was probably a, just an accident. It's a highly, highly... Highly contested... Yeah, it's a high, I know it's a highly contested and... Event in history. And, and debated event. As to what actually happened. Right. I mean, because it, it does. It, it changes the U.S.'s reaction to it. Right. Right? Like, the response. And honestly, we probably would have gotten into the Spanish-American War or started the Spanish-American War. Either way. We were right. looking we were looking for a way to get in it. Yeah. And yeah. it's kind of like a lot of words we were you like, say, we were always kind of waiting for an excuse. On. Nine years? Come on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Nine years? It had been going on for nine years by that time? What, the 10-year war? Yeah. Uh, the 10-year war was already over by the time the USS Maine sank. Okay. I missed some time in there. Then. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> you draw me a map. <laughs> I'll draw you a timeline after this yes. and point out everything. Thank you. Um, But yeah, that's how we captured Guam in a bloodless takeover. Uh, thanks, Frank, for your service thanks, to Frank. your country. Thanks, Guam, about being really cool people that uh, yeah. just like to say hi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very polite. Yeah. This reminds me of the Canadians. Yeah. Sorry. They're the Canadians Hi. of the Pacific. <laughs> That's their motto. Right. Or are the Canadians... The Canadians are the Guamanians of the, the north. north. Guamanians of the North. Yeah. I like that. That's, that's 
Canada's new motto. Right. <laughs> My sources for the story are the USS Maine explodes in Cuba's Havana Harbor, history.com article, the sinking of Maine, Naval History and Heritage Command article, and Destiny's Landfall, A History of Guam by Robert F. Rogers. Mm. And I actually have an update from oh, last yeah. week. Yeah. Uh, hippos. Yes. So apparently, Pablo Escobar had this huge zoo of exotic animals in Colombia. Mm-hmm. When he was shot and killed, most of those animals were taken to zoos. Except for the hippos, I think, because they're probably mean and nobody wanted to mess with the hippos, so they literally just left them Yeah, there. everybody was like, oh, you're going to take care of those, right? And then yeah. they are just like, yeah, you're going to take care of those, right? Yeah, and everyone was like, yeah, sure. So there was he had four hippos, uh-huh. and they just kind of like broke out, and they just kind of went and lived in the Colombian wilderness. Mm-hmm. Well, now today there are about one hundred. There's between eighty and a hundred hippos living in Colombia's waterways. Wild, wild hippos. Yeah, and they're just kind of taking over. You think four hippos to one hundred hippos in about thirty years? You got Love. some inbreeding. There's a lot. There's a lot of. Yeah, inbreeding going on. Yeah. They're probably going to start turning into some real funky looking hippos. Yeah. But yeah, so no they're obviously flow. hippos are aggressive. Yep. Like we know that. Yeah. Apparently some of these hippos have killed cows. I don't know mm-hmm. why, just becoming aggressive over territory, I think. And yeah. cows like you know are bigger animals. The land cow versus yes. the lake cow. Yeah. <laughs> land cow versus lake cow. <laughs> Did you remember that discovery? channel show where it just like put like two animals that like don't live in the same area in a fight against each other yeah like a simulated fight yeah what, what was that what was it called i don't remember yeah but that was kind of what i think of them. but i don't yeah. think anybody would put money on a land cow <laughs> versus a lake cow no hippo yep. no. so but there's Maybe actually a bison. there's a real question about what to do with these hippos um they've tried you know eradicating they've tried them? eradicating them but people of columbia get really upset because they kind of like their hippos now mm-hmm. but they're also very aggressive and invasive obviously non-native right and they're just kind of taken over and with no you know no hunting season no culling process mm-hmm. they're just kind of taking and over they're, literally they're genetic all of the genetics of these 80 to 100 hippos stem from four hippos. From four hippos. So there's probably some inbreeding going on. A lack of genetic. New genetics being introduced is right. usually detrimental to a population. So do we put more hippos in Colombia? <laughs> yeah. Is that the question? Is that the answer? Yeah. Who knows? But I'm excited to see where the hippos in Colombia go mm-hmm. and how that works. Yeah. So presidential trivia was, who's the only president to take his oath of office from a woman official? Mm-hmm. Do you have any guesses now that you've had time to think about it? No. It was Lyndon B. Johnson. Whoa. Who took his oath of office from Judge Sarah T. Hughes. Uh, why does that name sound familiar? Probably because I've heard of that before. Probably because you've heard that fact before. And I'm terrible at memorizing things. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. It's that's, not. It's not totally surprising to me that it was LBJ. Yeah. yeah, you'd almost think it'd be a little bit more recent. No. Yeah. I mean, that's <clears throat> honestly that that's what I was surprised. But then I was like, I feel like that would have been you know at, at least popularized by the media. Oh, right. Like a fact that Social we kind of media. all know. Yeah. Like, kind of thing. Like, 
Well, but remember when either Clinton, Bush, Obama, Obama. or, you know, like... Oh, yeah. Like, those are the four presidents that have been alive in my lifetime. I guess technically George, well, the first Bush. And Reagan and Carter have both been alive since you've been alive. No, no, no. No, no, no. I meant actually president. Oh, got you. Yeah, just saying. Just so you know how old I am. <laughs> George H. W. was my first president as a as a human form on this earth. Mine too, for a little bit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lyndon LBJ, LBJ, old LBJ, Lyndon yeah. B. Johnson, yeah. and Judge Sarah T. Hughes. That's cool. So, that's your fun fact. We just want to before we go. I want to just say, please go register to vote if you haven't done so. Mm-hmm. You can if, you're, go. if you're able to volunteer to work at your local polling place, polling place, get in touch with your county election f- officials. And typically, like for us, for me, I applied online, got an email, and I'm going to be able to work the day of the elections. So I'll be I'll be dressed up. We got training next week. I'll be dressed up, helping helping my fellow American citizens exercise their rights. And, and vote early if voting early works best for you. Vote by mail if voting by mail works best for you. Vote on election day if that's what works best for you. Just vote and just exercise your right to vote so that we have a true democracy. Mm-hmm. And that's how we keep this nation rolling. Keep it rolling and keeping it weird. Keeping it yeah, so it's always going to be weird. It's always going to be bizarre. So register to vote, and we hope you stay safe. Stay healthy. And until next time, stay, stay weird, weird, America. America.